0: Forever,
1: (laughs) dog. Just between
2: us. Just between us. Hello, I'm
0: Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I was recently diagnosed with SIBO. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, icon, bisexual icon. Wink. You'll notice I'm not winking, and I'm hyper aware that we're on camera now. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? Hyper aware. We're on camera. Oh yeah. Don't you want to know about my SIBO? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Say what that is. Yeah. And then, and then, what does it mean? Okay. So SIBO means small intestine
2: bacteria overgrowth.
1: <laughs>
2: Gross. Yeah. So basically, I've been having stomach problems and acid reflux for years. And it got really bad after my knee surgery. And John was like, you have to see a doctor. And I was like, doctor. Doctors don't know anything. <laughs> sure, of course. Well known about doctors because I had I had seen a gastroenterologist in 2018 a bunch of times. Yes, and I remember. They were just they. I got an upper endoscopy and they were just like you just have acid reflux. You have IBS. You got to just not eat anything ever. And I was like, I'm I'm gonna <laughs> eat things. Um, but then I went and I saw this new gastro. Yeah. Um, a couple weeks ago, and she was like, Well, I want to rule out a bunch of stuff. And so she ordered all of these tests. And so I had an abdominal ultrasound, Mm -hmm. negative. Then I had no abdominal. You had no no abdominal. You had no abdominal. They were shocked. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I'm a medical marvel. Um, I'm just boobs and legs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. That's very funny. I'm boobs and legs and I don't even want the boobs. (laughs) Um, And then but
2: they did this one thing where it's called a barium swallow, which lets you see if you have this type of like some type of weird hernia that kind of gets in the way
0: of of, like your digestion and can cause you to have more acid reflux. I did a barium swallow on Fire Island one time.
2: Melissa, do you want (laughs) to sub in?
0: It was a good joke. It was a good joke.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: At least I think his name was Barry. Who can say? Oh, my God. Okay. okay. <laughs>
2: and so I have a slight hernia, that sliding hernia, that can cause my acid reflux. Ah. But the biggest news is that I tested positive for SIBO. And and that can explain all of these problems that I've been having, like my pains and my gassiness and my and my my. My diarrhea and all my (laughs) various stuff that I I would have been way too embarrassed to have talked about publicly five years ago. Sure, sure, sure. But here we go. And so now I'm going to go on these heavy antibiotics for two weeks and maybe I'll be a new person.
0: So now what do you do to take care of the SIBO? I take these antibiotics. And how long? I just said for two weeks. And then what happens?
2: Then I said, well, then hopefully I'll be better. I mean, I think I'll probably still have acid reflux because, like, I'm clearly prone to it, but I am curious if getting rid of the SIBO will help alleviate that as well. And I'm going to be just taking Prilosec every day, baby.
0: Okay. So you have just been living with a bacteria that nobody bothered to check for for years. Well,
2: I don't know for sure if it's years, but maybe. Yeah. I've had it for, I probably've had it for quite some time.
0: I've never heard of SIBO.
2: Well, I cannot tell you how thrilling it was to for them to be like, yes, you have this very specific thing that we know how to treat.
0: You're glowing. Like you came in here so excited to have a diagnosis, which I I, I think is pretty relatable. Yeah,
2: because I was like, I told Melissa, I was like, yeah, I'm getting this stupid breathing test. I'm doing this annoying thing. Like, I don't want to it's not I'm not going to find out anything. But then to like have two of the three tests
0: she ran come up positive. I'm like, what? I want the whole jackpot, baby. That is a very relatable thing. People do, like, want answers. So it's sometimes it's not the best when it's, like, negative, negative, negative. Totally. Sometimes it's actually like, oh, okay, now I know what I'm dealing with. Now I can actually take the antibiotic. Now I can actually eat the right things. We did it, baby.
2: I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to be out here.
0: SIBO, represent. I wrote a SIBO once on a lake. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> this is... This is just between us. No, I'm happy for you. I'm happy for you. I'm happy for you. I am happy for you. No, thank you. I'm thrilled. John and I were
2: celebrating last
0: night. You were celebrating by just eating tomato sauce?
2: Well, no, because actually yesterday I was throwing
0: up quite a bit. Right, and you can't have that with acid reflux. Uh, That
2: I think I was throwing up because I was having a reaction to the barium swallow, so I threw up four times yesterday.
0: Well, Barry should get tested. Oh, my God.
2: Shame that you don't want to have kids because your dad jokes are off the charts.
0: <laughs> but like they're gay, they're gay dad jokes is the thing. Like I'm like your gay dad, who you're like, dad, it's too much.
2: This is just between us a
0: variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. This week on the show, I'm so excited. We have Philita Swift, who is a facial difference activist and uh the founder of uh Facial Equality International, who I mean, I just love her work and I think she's Brilliant, and um, I think this is a really necessary topic. And I'm so excited she's on the show.
2: And later we're going to be talking all about unintentional harm. So, like when you think you're doing the right thing, but maybe you're actually not.
0: Oh, Nelly,
2: <laughs> that's an expression that's not used enough.
0: It's really not. It's, yeah, I, it's very good. I like it. Thank you, because uh, I say "oh boy" every time, so I feel like I want to shake it up. Yeah. Oh, Nelly. Whoa, Nelly. Nelly. <laughs> Why do we associate that with horses?
2: Oh. You knew I was doing a horse impression, Absolutely though, right? Oh, great. I did. That was huge for me. Melissa is upset that I spit on the mic, but I'll, <laughs> I'll wipe it off. Um, <laughs> okay, but first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means? Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Anonymous? Unknown? Wow. Deeply mysterious. Very mysterious. Wow. Okay. okay. Actually, I know the person's name, but they asked, to, they asked to
0: keep it anonymous. Don't tell me. I won't tell you because you got a loose trap. There's a code of silence. Okay. Listen, there's a code of silence between the writers into the JMU email and Allison Raskin, and I'm not a part of it. <laughs> don't tell me anything. I don't want to know. Deal. Okay.
2: Anonymous says, hi, Alison and Gabby. How do I accept that my brother doesn't want me in his life? I, 25 female, was close to my brother, 28 male, growing up. We watched anime together, listened to music together, etc. He had a huge influence on me and helped shape me as a person. We started drifting apart after he graduated from college. He went to NYU for college, and now he's the only member of our family on the East Coast. He's also a horrible texter and caller. We only text when I initiate, and he only responds to texts when I need advice on personal finance. When I send him messages about other things, like a funny meme, he leaves me on read. He never wants to go on family vacations, but goes on family vacations with his wife's family. He has no kids. I told him before that I wish we were closer, and he says it's hard because of the distance. I understand his wife is a top priority person in his life, but I wish we could still have some semblance of a friendship. In the fall, I'm going to work from NY for a month. My brother helped me look for an Airbnb, which I really appreciated. However, when I asked if he could help me bring my luggage up to the top floor of the Airbnb walk-up, he said that he won't, even when I explained that he was the physically strongest person slash friend I knew in New York that could help. It just seems like every time I ask him something that would inconvenience him or disrupt his life, he says no. For example, I asked if I could go with his friend group to a concert in New York. He left that message on read, and I'm 99% sure it's because he doesn't want to disrupt his comfort zone social life. How do I accept my brother just doesn't want me in his life except for the bare minimum? I've been through friendship breakups, but this feels worse since I can't cut him out completely and move on. I feel like I have a complex. I am always looking for his approval. I don't want this, though. It's heartbreaking and exhausting, and I'm constantly disappointed.
0: I know why you picked this. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Why? Cuz you had this with Jocelyn.
2: Okay, I didn't have this exact thing with Jocelyn, but I will say that I have a relationship with my sister where like if she wanted to, I would talk to her every single day. Aww. <laughs> and like I would love to hang out with her all the time. Um and she's a little too um busy for that. Yeah, so I mean she she has kids and it's a very different lifestyle and you know we have a time difference and she goes to bed early and there's like a lot at play but I have had to come to terms with the fact that like and and Jocelyn is nowhere near the level of what this is about yeah. like Jocelyn shows up for me. I dedicated my last book to her. Like she, you know. But I would say like I have that younger sibling complex of like constantly wanting her attention and wanting her to want to <laughs> hang
0: out with me all Aww. the time. Oh,
2: <laughs> and and so something that I've had to come to terms with is like, and th- again, this is different. So I'll just talk about my situation is like learning how to just like be okay with that and learning that like. When I was feeling upset about it and at times angry about it, that like kind of what she mentioned, like it wasn't it doesn't serve me to feel that way. Mm -hmm. And so I've sort of had more of a shift of like, okay, like this is what our relationship is like. I still can get something out of it. The relationship I have with her doesn't need to look like the relationship I see between other people and their siblings. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean it doesn't have value. But also like learning what works for her more, you know, so like if I call her a lot of times, she's too busy to talk on the phone. But I've noticed that like if I text her, I tend to get a better response. Um, and so like I, I text her now more than I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like a way for us to stay in touch. But it yeah. is really hard. It's hard when like you want a level of closeness that the other person either doesn't have the capacity to provide for whatever reason or maybe doesn't have the interest to provide. And like like what do you do with those feelings? Because it is yucky.
0: I'm wondering, too, about the brother putting up all of these boundaries because, okay, two things. One, I think that people in my family could describe me as the brother in the sense that I, you know, it's hard. Like I did a a, I'm not going to say the brand because I don't know if they want to pay us anything, but I did like a storytelling thing for my parents. And one of the questions was, what do you like about each of your kids? And one of the things that I think my mom or dad or both mentioned in in my thing was about me coming off as cold. As something they like about you? It was like, even though Gabrielle is cold, something like, and I'm sure they didn't mean it, but like there is this prevailing idea in my family that because I'm not part of the like circle of obsession that everyone has with each other, for my own benef- health, like for my own like, pulling away and being a little bit more independent, I'm not as available. So I'm something's wrong with me. Like I'm not, I don't call enough. I don't, you know, I don't talk to them as much as my sister does. I don't, you know, engage as much. I don't know. I don't know what it is. So, I mean, that for me is me like setting these boundaries that make me feel healthy. The problem is, is that if this is what your brother is doing, he hasn't communicated the boundary. Mm. So like if he does want these boundaries, he hasn't told you that that's what he's doing. He hasn't said I'm setting a boundary, which is what I've had to do. Right. I say to my parents, like, this is actually a boundary for me.
2: Can you give an example of like what kind of specific boundaries you've set?
0: One a long time ago was that if my dad brings up money, I will hang up the phone. Mm -hmm. And so I just had to stick to that. Um, Another is that when I visit them, I don't stay with them. I get my own place. None of these are things that they enjoy. My dad, I do want to say that shockingly, my dad has been incredible about the trans stuff. Um, so that's just like a, a shout out to him. Uh, but I think the thing is, is that if that is what your brother is doing, he's missing the step where he then communicates what his boundaries are so that and they are not even why he has why them. he has them. And so that they make sense to you and they are consistent. If he says you know, I don't actually want you to spend time with my friends because I feel that my friends are my safe place away from family members, whatever. Then you're not confused when he just leaves you on red. you know? And, but then the other, the flip side, here's the second part of my story is that I am estranged from my oldest brother. And it is because he was not nice to me and he had not been nice to me. And actually, shockingly, he, one of the last straws was he would not help me bring my luggage up a flight of stairs. Really? Yes, quite literally. He dropped me off at my walk up apartment in New York City with holding my luggage. I, I was holding my luggage. He left me on the street and he drove away. And that to me was, I mean, there were a lot of last straws and that sounds very small, but that is, that was one. He just, I don't, he just was like, I'm busy. And, It was very hard for me to get my luggage up and leave the luggage down. And it was not safe on the street and all that stuff? So I do understand, too, being like, this person isn't nice to me. I know they are my sibling. They hurt my feelings more often than not. And I maybe just have to pull away for my own mental health. Yeah. And to make myself not feel like shit all the time.
2: And I think... You know, this idea of, like, it sucks because, like, you can't completely cut them off, right? Like, the way that maybe you would with a friend or something. Well, I've cut my not, brother off.
0: I don't think that's what she wants to I don't to think do. it's what she also, wants. Also, as you're saying, like, I will probably have to see him eventually at someone's funeral. You know what I mean? So, and you wouldn't have that with a friend. Right. I think, like,
2: something that can help is reimagining what our idea of a sibling relationship is, or just like letting it be more expansive than what we've seen or what we think it should be. Like, again, it kind of comes down to these shoulds, right. Of like, well, this is how a brother should act. And Mm -hmm. so then it causes us so much distress because it's not lining up with what our idea of how they should act is. Yes. But like by allowing yourself to be like people act in so many different ways, there are so many different types of sibling relationships Also, sibling relationships change. I was
0: going to say, you
2: know, like he's 28. Who knows? Like he could turn 40 and suddenly realize that he suddenly values family more than he's (laughs) ever valued it before. You know, like people go through like if he has children, maybe that will make him like want to reconnect with his family. Like I think that that just like allowing yourself to say like yes, this feels icky and I wish this was different, but also there are probably a lot of sibling relationships that look like this. And, you know, if I'm not getting what I need from my brother in the way that maybe I have in the past, like maybe someone else in my life can give me that. Yeah. Maybe I can have more male friendships in my life or I can have other just friendships in my life Mm -hmm. that I kind of become like familial and like feel like more like a sibling you know and and it sucks and I think also just like allowing it to suck to be like sad you know like I like do I wish that I talked to my sister more than I do absolutely does that completely derail my life every single day no yeah (laughs) Do you know what I mean yeah that like you are allowed to feel icky you're allowed to feel upset but you also that 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 sometimes you just have to sit with those feelings and it doesn't mean that you need to like cut him off completely. It doesn't mean you need to have a huge blow up fight with him. It can just be
0: something that... Let it be what it is for now. A little bit, yeah. It's sad because it's interesting for me. Like I have a lot of... When I was younger, I really liked my brother that I'm estranged from and I had a lot of good memories with him. And me and my sister, who I'm very close to now, uh, hated each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, Physical fighting, just like bad, bad, bad. And, um, And now she and I are super close and I don't talk to him. And I was... It was hard, like, going through my old journals for something I was writing and seeing that, like, my journal entries were, like, I, I liked my older brother a whole lot. And so part of me sometimes wonders, like, does that taint those memories? But you can only go on what it is right now. And, like, Cheyenne grew up and matured and he didn't. So. Yeah. Imperfect.
2: It sucks. And I, you know, and I think families are so hard. And just remembering that you didn't pick your family. Yeah. So that you don't really have control over those dynamics in the way that we wish that we maybe did. Yeah. But I think Abby's right. I think also a lot of the responsibility is on him for not sharing why he has these boundaries. So of course, you're going to be confused. Of course, you're going to be upset and hurt. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe there's an opportunity to ask him for more of an explanation of like, hey, why do you not come on our family vacations, but you go on vacations with your
0: wife's family? And not accuse, Just be like, I'm just curious. I'm curious, right? Yeah. And maybe he'll say something that makes sense. And maybe he won't, but at least you you tried. Right. Or he'll be like, I actually have a problem with X, Y, and Z. Hopefully he can communicate that. I don't know. And,
2: you know, maybe setting up a system of like, okay, I I don't like that. I don't hear back from him when I text him regularly. So instead, every month I'm going to send a check in text. Mm -hmm. So then it's not like, what do I do every day? What do I should I contact him Mm -hmm. today? Should I contact him not? You know, like having maybe some sort of like plan in place of like when you are going to contact him. So then you don't have to think about it as much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then you at least know that you are still trying and you're still reaching for him. Um, whether or not he decides to reach back.
0: Yeah, it's hard to not be able to rely on them, too. It sucks. Well, I have no idea if that was helpful, but <laughs> at the very least, you're
2: not alone in these feelings. And if you want to submit your advice question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's p o d at
0: gmail.com. Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Phyllida Swift. So stay tuned.
2: Between us. Welcome back to just between us. It's time for the juiciest, most
0: scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, our guest is Phillida Swift. Phillida is an appearance activist and the CEO of Face Equality International an NGO campaigning to end the discrimination and indignity experienced by the global facial difference community. After sustaining facial scars in a car accident in 2016, she set out to reshape the negative narratives that dictate the public perception of scars and disfigurements. And you can see all of that on her TEDx, which is incredible. Hello.
3: Hi, thank you for having me.
2: Thank you so much, because I, I, this seems like a topic that's so important, but that like even I have to admit, like I didn't really even know about. So can you sort of talk about what the main advocacy is and why it's so important?
3: Of course. Yeah. So the terms that we use there were things like facial difference and disfigurement. For US audiences, you might have heard the term deformity, particularly in like a medical setting. But I'm talking about anyone who lives with a marked scar or condition that affects their facial appearance. So me with facial scarring, but that could also include things that someone might have been born with, like a cleft lip and palate. It includes skin conditions, things that might be episodic. It's a whole spectrum, very broad, but we recognize that no matter what that facial difference might be, living in a world that prizes a certain appearance, a very perfect Instagram filtered like complexion can be incredibly difficult for anyone who doesn't quite fit within that narrow perception of what is Beautiful. Um, And together, Face Equality International, we're a membership. So we campaign for face equality, recognizing that there are deep rooted injustices that come as a result of having a facial difference, whether that's discrimination in workplace, whether that's bullying in school, whether that's hate crime. It's a very neglected social justice issue. And it does, to an extent, fit within kind of the legal definition of disability. But the problem is, is that facial difference is not universally regarded as a disability. So current laws and systems, for example, are not fit for purpose, and they're not adequately recognizing the unique experience of this community, because it is a community. It's a community to celebrate. But right now, it's a community that is completely and utterly marginalized.
0: What are some of the disadvantages that you've seen, like like the top ones that keep coming up?
3: Um so to quote one of our UK members and their research so 6 out of 10 people with a visible difference have experienced hostile behavior from a stranger. So we hear stories day in day out of comments being made, people are being harassed in the street. Yeah, 6 in 10 people have experienced hostile behavior from strangers. So that ranges from anything like staring um which can be incredibly kind of difficult to have to deal with whenever you go out, whenever you go out in public, comments from strangers asking, what happened to you? What's wrong with you? Why do you look like that? Right up to outright abuse, hate crime, being harassed, being attacked purely for looking different.
2: What role do you think that that Hollywood and the media have had in like kind of perpetuating this idea that facial marking and scarring indicates someone is, quote unquote, bad or the villain in all of these movies and TV shows?
3: Yeah. So the media in particular, Hollywood, is something that we talk about a lot at Face Equality International because it does impact upon our bias and the way that we perceive anyone with a facial difference and we've come so far in terms of the representation of other marginalized identities particularly with the likes of trans representation I know it's got still still a very long way to go so talking about just you know constantly portraying someone as a serial killer or as a bad person, or as someone who's immoral, we know that that is not okay. Or at least, I would hope that most people now that that know now know that that is not okay. And yet, it's not being extended to the facial difference community. We just think, oh well, let's just stick a, a scar on them. Let's just give them a disfigurement that will add a bit of kind of grit to their character. And we're not realizing that we are telling younger generations to fear that person, to not trust that person, or that any sort of kind of visible facial difference is an indication of immorality. And it's entirely unnecessary. And it is detrimental to the real lives of this community.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about that a lot, because it is shown, it is a shorthand for this is a villain. And I remember, I met you through Hank Green, but I remember like, one of the big first things that I saw on your Instagram was uh, when uh, Anne Hathaway, I think, was in The Witches or played a witch. And it was like the big reveal of her being a witch was that she had claw hands. And that was like a really big... Can you talk about that a little bit? And how that... I mean, that to me was the first time I really saw your work in action.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's constant. And actually, that's a really important example because Anne Hathaway and Warner Brothers actually issued a public statement, a public apology, because it got so much backlash, particularly from the disability community, because the hand condition was mimicking conditions like syndactyly, like a a limb difference. What was less recognised was also the fact that she had alopecia and she had scars around her mouth. And that's, I guess, echoed with the Jada Pinkett Smith incident recently. So where her alopecia was openly mocked, and we see jokes like this and we just see frivolous comments made about appearance as though actually this is a this is a discrimination issue. This is a marginalized community. And I don't think the media has quite recognised yet that this is this is an identity, this is a community deserving of the same recognition as other minority groups. Um so Hollywood Hollywood could be such a kind of forward-thinking space to truly represent the like holistic real life experience where you know I'm not a baddie I I'm not a like immoral character but if you saw me in a film you'd probably instantly think that the cue that the facial scar on my face is saying is oh well she's a victim she's a vulnerable person don't trust her she must be sad she must have a really awful life and yet it's absolutely untrue. And the backlash that we often see on Twitter, like we get the political correctness gone mad, police coming at us all the time saying, oh, this is just the slow generation. This is just the woke agenda. But it's not, it's not enough to say that people can make the distinction between real life and fantasy because this is the media. This is what shapes the way that we think. And you know, we talk about implicit bias all of the time and the way that it influences the way that we perceive other human beings. So it's not enough to say that the average person isn't going to be influenced by constantly being being bombarded by really negative narratives about this community that is already subject to such injustice. So why are we permitting it by kind of further reinforcing that harmful narrative which lasts for generations that's what I find so deeply painful about it all is that I don't want my nieces and my nephews and you know my future children to suddenly be scared of me because I've had that I've had I've been into schools before where kids have said to me I don't like your face I'm scared of it and that's because they've seen crap like the Lion King and they've seen my face on characters that they're being told not to like
0: I was gonna say kids are a fantastic example because when you're talking about you know narrative bias, like of course you know parents get uh, mortified because their kid will just come up and be like, "What's wrong with you? Why do you look like that?" What and that's a perfect example of what you're saying. What do the parents? What can the parents say, or what do you say if if you feel that you should say something like you know to a kid like that?
3: See, this is really really hard, and what I would say always is that this is deeply deeply personal you can't make any assumption other than the fact that that person just wants to be treated like the average human being some people do want to engage into a conversation and particularly with a child they're so inquisitive they're so curious they just want to know that you're okay particularly with me you know sometimes kids just want to know that I'm not in pain and all that's all it takes is me to say oh it's just a scar like I'm fine now I was in in a little accident All good doesn't hurt. And I think sometimes there's so much awkwardness around saying or doing the wrong thing. And that's actually what the inspiration behind the film Wonder was. I don't know whether you've seen it, but it was big Hollywood again movie. And the book was actually inspired by an incident where there was a child with a craniofacial condition, and I think they were getting ice cream or something. Basically, the the kid was saying, you know, mommy, daddy, what's wrong with that child? And they dragged their child away. And it's such a shame that that happened. But I totally understand why you would want to do that as a parent, because you don't want to make that person feel bad. But what that did was completely stigmatize the issue. It left out any opportunity to kind of build a human connection that is so vital. And that kind of parent felt so bad that she then went and wrote the book wonder so it's a real tricky area and something that we really try and kind of debunk and reduce the shame around is we've got a parent's guide on our website for exactly these sorts of situations so what do you do what do you say just smile just enter into a conversation and we realize that we are human we do have that fight or flight instinct when we are in these situations And ultimately, people just want to get it right. But it can be incredibly difficult to do that. So we just want to remove the shame around getting it right. And just hopefully set the intention that we really hope that people have that human decency. Yeah, (laughs) totally. um, Yeah.
2: I'd love to hear a bit about your experience, because, you know, this wasn't something that you were born with. And so you have the the experience of of not having facial scarring and now you live with facial scarring and so what has you noticed about how people perceive you differently how you move through the world differently like what kind of changed for you internally after your accident
3: yeah i think me in my position as well i think it i used to kind of struggle to i kind of had a bit of imposter syndrome to say, oh, well, how am I ever gonna know what it was like to be born with a condition? And then one of my colleagues was saying, well, actually it's a good thing because you can see it from both sides. And if you're advocating to the public and trying to help the masses understand and to kind of respect this community, then actually it's a good thing. So for me, it was, at first it was awful. Like I had a complete identity crisis because I no longer look like myself. And I do think that it's very gendered. I do think that particularly with something like scars. So one of my nurses, when I was kind of initially in hospital, for example, bless her, she was trying to make me feel better. And she was saying, oh, well, my nephew, he, he's he got a big scar on his face and he's now a model and he's so handsome and all of that sort of kind of trying to make me feel better. But My instant thought was, well, yeah, he's a bloke. He's a guy. It's very different as a female to be associated with something that is never seen as kind of pretty. It's always ugly. It's always villainous. It's very, very different. Time moves on and I realise it's not easy no matter what gender you are. Um, And it's a very, very deeply, deeply unique experience. And I, I do think that there is power in coming together to recognize it doesn't matter what type of condition it is, but any appearance affecting kind of facial difference, there is great unity and strength there.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about the the differences in the community and the ways that if, if I'm so interested in like insular communities and like the the ways in which it works together and how how the sort of people that were born looking a certain way work together with the people who, because we say this about disability a lot, and I know you're saying that facial difference is is kind of different than disability in some ways, but disability is one of the only communities that you can join at any time. You could get in an accident tomorrow. You could, uh, even as you age, you become disabled, quote unquote. Like, so- what, what is the sort of like ways in which those two communities come together? And, and do you think that people that have had an accident and then are now have facial difference are sort of a, like good advocates for all of, you know, for all of the facial difference community?
3: Yeah. So I guess there's two points there. There's one to say we absolutely, like it's one of our core values as an organization now is intersectionality. So not just recognizing the parallels with disability community because lots of people will also identify as disabled um, within our community lots won't but also they might identify with other marginalized characteristics so it's really important to recognize how they kind of intersect and might lead to heightened experiences shall we say and we do work as a as a membership with I guess condition specific organizations where there is of course great kind of understanding that comes from meeting someone who looks exactly like you or has the same condition as you because and this is as much as we bash social media it is an incredible tool because there are such rare conditions out there where someone might never have met someone who has that same kind of appearance or condition and it does bring people together so we definitely recognize the importance of yeah identifying those parallels and those parallel communities where There is a shared experience that we can we can draw upon and bring people together. It can be quite divisive at times.
0: I was gonna say, is there resentment from people who were born with conditions towards people who were late, you know, later had accidents or or had something happen?
3: Well, there's actually some really interesting research that comes out a lot and it's something I talk about a lot, is the severity in inverted commas, of a condition does not necessarily kind of directly correlate to the impact it has on the individual. So for instance, often it actually comes out of research that people that are born with conditions that might be seen as more severe in terms of their kind of visual impact, so to the eye they might look more kind of severe, But actually, that individual might be far better adjusted and have far better kind of resilience than someone who acquires a very small kind of facial difference or someone who goes through something like, you know, facial palsy, what Justin Bieber is going through currently. And they might find that incredibly difficult. And actually, there's not always a direct kind of correlation between severity and emotional impact. So that's, again, something that we try and really pull out as a positive thing to say there shouldn't be a hierarchy of facial difference. You can identify the unique experience and the importance of, yeah, bringing condition-specific groups together, but ultimately we all want the same thing, which is respect and understanding. So it's, yeah, it's really, really interesting.
2: We're going to take a quick break, but
1: stick around.
0: I'm curious why the face is so and maybe there's studies or maybe you've looked into like why the face is so intense of a disturbance for people if it's like I think because you touched on it a bit saying you know you didn't you didn't look like yourself so is there like why the face in particular
3: well this is it and we as an organization so we work with members who perhaps they're a burn-specific not-for-profit or they might support people with visible facial and bodily disfigurements. We as an organisation recognise that heightened kind of prejudice that comes from having a condition that is on your face because it's so tied up in our identity and it's the first thing that people see when they look at you and it's the way that we are perceived by others and perhaps you know if something is inhibited like your facial expressions that leads to a whole other kind of interesting interaction where again to bring up facial palsy we look at each other and we're constantly reading each other's expressions and that again can sometimes kind of get the other person's back up Um, and make them feel a little bit scared or not know where to look or not know what to do. And I think what we try and bring out across all of our work is that that is a normal human response. But what you can do is, of course, tap into hopefully your kind of social skills to recognise I'm just talking to another person. I can just say hello. I can just find common ground. Um, But sadly, it's not always the case.
2: Right. I think it speaks to kind of the importance of the advocacy, right? Because just people knowing this, (laughs) just people like, like letting it into their thoughts that like, oh yeah, some people are not going to have like full control over their facial expressions. And that's not, anything that you need to be afraid of that's not anything that you need to comment on like that's just something that you should like take into account maybe when you're talking to them because I feel like we learn so much bias and then like we have to then have other information to unlearn the bias and I feel like you're out there providing that information
3: Yeah. And we have to unlearn a lot of it. It's, it's, this is, it's not unique to this community, is it? Sometimes I have lots of faith in humanity and sometimes I don't. Um.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just wondering, you know, when was there a moment where you, maybe your relationship towards your face after your accident, Change Because I imagine, like you said, at first, there was so probably so much fear and stress. anger and stress. And and when did you start to, you know, did you have to actively work on having a, a healthier relationship with your image?
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, well, and this is something I think I do share with, I guess, people who sustain facial differences through trauma or illnesses, well, ultimately, it's a sign that you've overcome something. And for me, you know, there was a moment after my accident where I was like, yeah, this is it. I'm going to die. Like I'm, I'm a goner and coming out of that and realizing, okay, well, I am still here. And in the grand scheme of things, I'm good. I, I've got a good sense of who I am and what I'm about and who I want to be and the way that I want the world to perceive me. And if I go out there and prove like a huge thing for me is, like spite and wanting to prove people wrong, yeah. <laughs> like is a big drive. It is a big driving force, and yeah. like I think that 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 really helps me is well, I can feel confident, I can feel beautiful, and I can see the beauty in something that society doesn't yet see as beautiful. But I'm gonna do my damnedest to prove to them that it can be. So spite is a big thing for me. <laughs>
2: That's so not the answer I thought you were going to give, but I love I it. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough. And and the way I would like to thank you is by um forcing you to play a, a game show. Amazing. Hypotheticals is a game show where you and Gabby are my contestants. I'm gonna give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have then you tell me what you would do in that situation. Um, and then I, I pick a winner. Sometimes I don't pick a winner. Sometimes it's really just an opportunity for us to discover more about ourselves.
0: I also don't know. I'm playing too. I don't know what she has in her hand. And I'm also <laughs> terrified.
3: Well, I mean, I, I feel like I've got the most terrifying bit over and done with. So surely it can't be worse. <laughs> That's a very good perspective to have. Okay. Our first
2: game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater you have been with your partner for 52 years when they have a cancer scare while you're waiting for the test results, they confess that 47 years earlier they cheated on you while on a work trip to Japan because they were really disoriented from the jet lag and weren't thinking properly, but they haven't cheated on you since then and feel really bad about it every single day. Also, they cheated on you with your best friend who is also their colleague. Would you stay with this cheater? 47
0: years ago?
3: Yes, for, and you've been together this for This is 52. like the game I play with my friends on a regular basis. Like, we, we, we <laughs> go through these scenarios a lot. It's a long time
2: ago, though. Yes, it is. 47 years, but it was
0: your best friend. Are they my best friend now? They're still your best friend. Oh,
3: the plot thickens. So what? What? So is it a question of do I leave them or do I stay with them? Yes. yes. I mean, I feel like they're gonna need some help to get through cancer.
2: It was just a scare. They d- oh they don't you have got can- back the results and they don't oh. have cancer, but they told you while you were waiting for the results.
0: They this added- is a juicy one. They added stress to my stress. But it was their cancer
2: scare.
3: But yes, yeah.
0: Well, I'm still worried about them. I love them. That's yeah.
3: true. Yeah. I've stuck with them for long enough. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'd probably stick around.
0: But what do we say to the friend? We go and say, how could well, you keep this, this, this from the, me?
3: Well, this is the thing is that the, the friends always end up worse off. Like, why, why do we always hate on the person that we've been cheated on with more than the person, ah. the cheater?
0: That's true. That's a great point. I think um, I would leave him. Wow. You and stay friends with the friend. Yeah. Let's the two of us go on
2: a road trip. <laughs> <laughs> OK, So you're leaving your partner of 52 years, but going to go on a road trip with the friend they cheated on you with 47 years ago.
0: No, I'm actually. Yeah. Me and that friend are going to go on a like very romantic hot air balloon ride. Okay, not the answer I was expecting. <laughs> and we'll pop champagne, and we'll say, "Single ladies, I'm not even a woman." And yeah, I'll say everything that everything you're <laughs> saying is very confusing. All right, <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you would stay because
2: you're 50 years in. I what think the I'm
3: hell? Also, just like a bit of a push-up. <laughs> 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 oh gosh, I'm deep, revealing my deepest. All right, all right,
0: fair, fair enough. enough. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough.
2: Our next one, are you a terrible parent? Your child, 16, is a great driver but has terrible test anxiety, so they have failed their driving test four times already. Oh, no. You know that they are good at driving, but they just can't handle the pressure of the test. So you find a DMV employee on Facebook who you think will be partial to bribes on Facebook and bribe them to pass your child, regardless of their actual performance no. during the driving no. test? No, no. Are
0: you a terrible parent? You're a horrible parent. Why? You're terrible parent. Why? Look, I'm from Florida. Well, they where they will give a chimpanzee a license, but I can't. No, I think no, because your kid has to learn consequences, and your kid has to learn that they have to they have to. Maybe they need to become a better test taker you're wow. gonna bribe you're gonna bribe all through high school and college.
2: I'm shocked by this response <laughs> <laughs> Wow,
0: well, I think
3: people have test anxiety and, and it's a real thing. So I took my test, I took my test six times. Oh my God, really <laughs> Yeah, I wish she'd done this for me at the time. I'm glad she didn't. I mean, maybe this is where like. I've been able to tap into my resilience. Is like it was a really traumatic time of my life. Every time they told me I failed, it was awful. Yeah, I
2: can't believe I I happened to do this one with someone who failed six times. Six
3: times, <laughs> and on the final time, they also said to me, they were like, mm, "Yeah, there was probably enough there to fail you again." But honestly, like we've seen you so many times, we're sick of this
1: side of you. What were you messing up?
3: Everything. On one of them, I thought, <laughs> So in the UK, there's... I don't know how it works in the States, but in the UK, you get minors or majors. And I think you can get something like 14 minors, but you can't get any majors. And on one of them, I'm pretty sure I got three majors. And, like, <gasps> we have cars where the instructor can step in and, like... Use their own brakes, and they had to do that on one of them because I was coming out of a junction. But I didn't think I was actually going to come out of the junction. In fairness, but I was hesitating, so they thought I was going to do it anyway. I've never crashed since, and this was mm, eleven years ago. Touchwood.
2: Sometimes you just need someone to have faith in you, and then you can continue
3: on. But with yeah, your I life. wouldn't. I would no a bad parent. Don't no. don't do it. No, they've got to learn. Really, I think it's a good parent. No. Well, it's like all of those parents that paid all of that money to get their kids into university. Like, nah, nah, bro. Yeah, it feels that feels very different to me because it's
2: a you know it's really inhibiting if you don't have a driver's license in a place where where people drive a lot. And so you're really and if the only reason is that they have test anxiety and you've been in the car with them many times and seen that they're good at driving. What have
0: you done? Have you bribed <laughs> someone and you're trying to get? Are you? Are you yeah, trying, trying to like trying. get, why, why are you so
2: into this? I don't know. I guess this one I won. Okay. Next. I'm like so suspicious of you now. I feel suspicious of me too, but I don't think I've ever bribed anybody. Hmm. I don't know. Okay. Hmm. Our final game. I said you'd learn things about yourself. I just learned some, I was expecting everyone to go, yeah, that's a good parent.
0: Oh, well, hmm. now I learned I'm I'm yeah, do,
2: do you feel foolish? <laughs> I feel very foolish. <laughs> OK, our final game. Would you forgive this liar? You hate celebrating your birthday, but one of your best friends encourages you to throw a birthday party anyway. You are really afraid that no one is going to show up, but they assure you that people will and even help you plan it. Hmm. The day of your party, your friend tells you that they are devastated, but they can't make it because they've been throwing up for hours. Oh, no. You tell them not to worry and feel better. Later that night, you see footage of your friend at a Haim concert during the time of your party on someone else's Instagram story. Would you forgive this liar? Only four people showed up to your party. Cut them out. No. Cut them out.
3: Cut them out. No way. Out. Hell no. way. <laughs> yeah. Nah. Yeah. Awful.
0: Were they even like in
2: the VIP or anything? Uh they had good seats. So I guess you find out what happened was like the day of the party, someone they knew offered them good seats and I am as their favorite they band. They could have
3: said that. They could have said that. Did they lie? Right, lie. Why lie? Yeah. And also they could have taken, they could sack off the party and take me with you. Yeah. So it is right. Yeah. Sack off
0: the party and take me with you.
2: That's the name of our emo rock yeah,
1: band. Exactly. Um.
0: <laughs> sack off the party and take me with you. Opening for fallout boy.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was a clear one. Yeah. I think that's really yucky. I think I'd have to stop being their friend and I'd probably never throw another birthday party.
0: Absolutely. Overrated, yeah, just like rent a boat and go out on a boat. I think that's what, what we're gonna do for Mal's birthday. <laughs> if, but I, but I am about to, t- I know this is a joke. I was gonna say, I'm gonna take a huge life insurance policy out on them and <laughs> then <to laughs> take them out on a boat alone. <laughs>
2: Okay, well, I will be checking in on mail throughout their birthday. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us for sharing so much needed information and for playing our very silly game. Where can people find out everything that you're doing?
3: Sure. So first and foremost, I'd say go and follow Face Equality International across all of our social media pages. Our handle is Face Equality int and then me, Phillida Swift, it's a bit of a random name. Um, But just I'm the only one which helps. So it's P-H-Y-L-L-I-D-A-Swift. Amazing. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you you so much for having me and for the silly chats and for the serious chats too. It's much appreciated.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Stick around. After the break, we'll be talking all about unintentional harm. Just between us. It's time for topics. X, 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 X. Baby. Baby.
0: Oh. Oh. Very
2: measured baby from Melissa today.
0: Normal. Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) Okay, why am I scared? I don't know. I was like kind of judgy, maybe. You were judgy? No, no, no. Like I felt like like when Melissa goes, hmm. I'm like, oh, that's like when the judge holds up like a two. I don't know. I've never been in a pageant.
1: I've never been in a pageant. <laughs> Me neither. Can I you imagine? You were Miss a- Black and Gold, 20... 2007, I think. You were in a did pageant? Did you win? Yeah. <gasps> of course you won. What was your talent? Podcasting. Podcasting wasn't a thing then. <laughs> I did a liturgical dance.
0: What does that mean?
1: A very uh, Jesus dance.
0: Interesting.
1: Please welcome to the
0: stage Miss Black and Gold, 2007. I believe.
1: I also was three-time international champion for liturgical dance as well. What? <laughs> that's why me and my church youth
0: I was going to say, that's why Jesus loves you and not us. <laughs> oh, my God. My mind is blown.
2: Okay. This week, I wanted to talk about unintentional harm because... Is this... I, is this
0: this is because you texted me. What do I say about abortion? How do I make it inclusive?
2: No, but it was about abortion stuff because, you know, after Roe v. Wade was overturned, lots of people came out and said, hey, like, I, if you want to come to my house to have an abortion, come uh, you can come stay with me and it turns out that that's actually like not a helpful thing to do mm-hmm. because then it's very easy for the government to track that you have someone who have Obviously. publicly online offered to help aid a abet a crime and it's like a very easy of course people are doing this from a good place and offering themselves up to help but it's actually not helpful and it can be really harmful if anybody took takes them up on that yeah and so my question is sort of like in this world where the common sense response sometimes Uh is actually harmful.
0: Yeah. Like,
2: how do we do our best to actually be helpful?
0: This reminds me of Blackout, where people were posting the black squares, and then it actually made it hard for people to find BLM protests. (laughs) Well, that's a great example, right? I think a lot of activism, there's
2: activism that is done well, and then there's activism that is well-intentioned but not
1: helpful. Yeah. I think the difference with the black square, though, was a lot of that was performative. Mm-hmm. But with people saying the things like, you know, if you're here, then your cousin, me, your cousin, I'll take you, blah, blah, blah. They're actually trying to be helpful, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It puts a target on your back. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it also could be performative. I feel like people are saying that and I'm like, are you really going to take That's in a stranger? True, too. Are you really? I don't think so. Not you in particular. I'm sure you would. But I'm saying, you know, some people that are posting that, I'm like, I don't think that you will. I never posted that. No, 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 no. I'm saying, but like, I don't think if you posted something, I wouldn't think that you didn't mean it. Oh, yeah. But
2: it is like, you know, even just like what resources do you share? How do you know that you're sharing
0: the right resources? Oh, yeah. is like kind of tricky. Abortion <laughs> funds more directly
1: now. People seem to be pissed at Planned Parenthood. <laughs> And then there's also places that advertise that they're an abortion place. And they're actually not. not. Really? Yes. What they do is they bring you in and then they try to talk you out of getting an abortion.
0: Yeah. And someone does a liturgical dance for Jesus.
1: (laughs) Not the same. That's white Jesus. (laughs) But I do
0: wonder, you know, Mal made a really good point. Where, like, sometimes radical feminists will be like, yeah, and make men get vasectomies. And, like, um, Mal was like, how about we don't make legislation about anyone's
1: bodily autonomy? Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of that, too.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. So, right, like, that's, like, another perfect example of, like, misguided opinions. And, like, not, like, propaganda, but, like, you know, like. Yeah. And I also think there's also been issues with people sort of co-opting. BLM yeah. stuff mm-hmm. and, and like that not being helpful mm-hmm. for white people to do. And so like I, I'm genuinely asking, like how do you know that you're that what you're doing is helpful and not harmful? Like what how, do you, do you just do a lot of research. Like how yeah. do you, you have to be like just so extra thoughtful before you do the post, before you spread this information?
1: I think anyone, if you're talking about anything, you should be informed about what you're talking about and you know, sometimes it might you might feel passionate for it to come from your heart, but like it needs to come from your heart and your head because you, you will end up s- spreading false information.
0: I also want to say that sometimes as public figures, there's a lot of pressure for us to speak about things, but we don't know about those things. So it'll be like everyone's posting about a certain topic that's hot that day or that week. And then people will say to me, why aren't you posting about this? And it's like, well, I don't know about Mm -hmm. it. I can't just repost the thing that everyone's posting mindlessly. I can't just like post something and be like, this is someone else's opinion. Like it's more harmful for me to actually post about something and not know anything about it. And sometimes like Melissa said, it's performative where they're like, I just don't want to get yelled at. So here's the thing. But like, for example... Like you can't Ukraine and Russia. I don't know anything about that. Right. So like I assume things, but I don't know anything about it. So for me to like go on social media and act like I know is harmful when there's other people that know way more than me. So like go to those experts. Don't don't ask a podcaster. Don't ask like a fucking influencer. (laughs) Like I don't I'm not an international politics expert. Like go to those people. Yeah, and I think something I do
2: is I, I like, follow certain people on Twitter who I really respect. And mm-hmm. so then I'm, like, always looking to them for their point of view on yes. something. But that's tricky, right? Because sometimes they make mistakes,
0: too. I you know. know. I mean, there's, like, I trust... For voting in Los Angeles, I trust Knock LA exclusively and my friend Brittany Nichols, who knows everything. And so, like, that I can sort of relax a little if I feel that Knock supports it. But it is, like, just through friends of mine who work there that I even know about them or like just being in touch with, you know, people on the ground or friends of mine who, who actually do the work being like, Hey, is this, is this correct? Is this, is this what you're, if what you're posting is like, if I see a post from someone I am friends with and absolutely know, then I'm, I'm like, okay, this is probably accurate versus like just someone who made something that's going viral.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah. But I also think it's like taking that information from someone you trust and then doing your own research. Yeah, absolutely. That. Absolutely. Doing your own research. Yeah.
2: And I think the next step is, OK, let's say you post something like, hey, if you need an abortion, come to my house. And then you have abortion activists say, hey, this is actually a harmful thing to do. Being able to say, oh, OK, and just taking it down instead yeah. of feeling the need to like double down on it or feel like that's a personal attack. Like I talk all the time about the fact that like I expect myself to be wrong. Yeah. So then when I'm wrong, it doesn't completely shatter my sense of self or the world. I'm like, oh, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. This must be one of those times. So let me just like respond appropriately, even though like your defenses want to go up and you want to say, well, why could this possibly be bad? I'm just saying I'm helping people.
0: But here's the problem is that sometimes half the people say this is good and half the people say this is bad and it's pretty equal. So then what? And I
2: think it's going back to like those, what's the party line of those organizations and activists that you trust? And are you aligned with them?
0: Yeah, it's hard because sometimes I I really, I really don't know. Like I really do not know. And so, you know, I'll see some people I respect saying one thing and I'll see some people I respect saying another thing. And I'm so confused. And then I'll come up with my own opinion. But then I am like, do I even want to post this? Because I'm like, maybe I'm not, in info- like, maybe I'm, don't, I you just start questioning yourself. And I think people provide really good reasons as to why, you know, things are, are wrong. But also, I lean on the side of being paranoid. So, like, I wouldn't post something like that because I'm so paranoid that the government is gathering information on us. Not that it matters, because I think they have everything on me due to my participation in BuzzFeed video. But uh everything... <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it's like, how far does the conspiracy go, and how much do we have to protect ourselves, and how much is actually happening? Like, are they watching? Are they gonna come to your house and and get your friend who's getting an abortion? Like we act like maybe not, but like maybe yeah, yeah.
2: and also recognizing like your own circumstance, right? So like for me, as a white woman in California it is a lot safer for me to share this kind of information online than for marginalized people in the South to do that.
0: Yeah, but I will say one friend of mine whose sister is an abortion doctor was talking about how if you are in a place that you even that you deem safe, There are people that still don't have access or that still will not be able to drive or travel. So like he was saying, oh, there's nothing for me to do in Los Angeles. And she was like, no, there is like if if you want to send money to places locally or you want to like check out like helping abortion clinics in Riverside or in like the rural areas of California, like do that locally to you more so than just being like, I don't know, I guess I'll send money to Alabama.
2: Oh, yeah. I just meant like in terms of safety, safety for yeah. me to yeah, post yeah. that.
0: Like it's a lot more unsafe for
2: other people to post yeah. about it, I think. Yeah, definitely. It's still a risk. It's always going to be a risk in yeah. this new fascist country we're living in. But yeah. different levels of it. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. But I think it's just like also it's like allowing for the learning process that mm-hmm. like, you know, some things that we think maybe are right aren't right. And like being able to adapt and, and change our thoughts with that information.
0: Yeah. And to know people's intentions, I guess. Like, if somebody's going super hard at women's rights or women's reproductive systems, and this is maybe not correct, but I'm like, I don't know, let them have it. Like, you know, like, I'm like, unless they're not being like really turfy on purpose or they're like being trans exclusionary on purpose. Like, I'm sort of like, I understand viewing this as a women's issue, even though I know that it is not a women's issue. But I just like yelling at a 50 year old woman who's like, this is a women's issue. It's like, I don't think going to help anyone. Well, I think it's hard to
2: like reckon with the idea that like your intentions can be good, but your output can be bad. Right. That's the thing. Like it. it's like a cogn- it's like cognitively difficult to be like, but I was trying to do the right thing. And then to be told that it's not is like so jarring.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I think like if you do approach someone who has well-intentioned harm, approach them with the knowledge that they are being well-intentioned.
2: Right. And that's, I think, something that's often missing online. Yeah. Oh, often yeah. missing that like this was a good intention. It hit the mark, but they had good intentions. We sort of like react to everything that's often the same way, which I think is harmful. Yeah, I do that
1: in real life, too. No, I'm just what being mean? truthful. Like I, I don't so, like people will like say things. And I'm like, why the fuck are you doing this? Like, <gasps> because I'm think because I'm like it, I'm like it doesn't feel right in my gut, and so I expect them to have the same feeling without actually like thinking about like they are trying to be. Mm. They have good intentions, but so that's something I'm working on. No, it's fine.
0: Also, if you're like tired of good intentions. You know, the yeah. road, they they say the road to hell is paved with them. So that's true.
2: Well, also, wait, what's the history? Is it like one time, and then you say, "Hey, actually, that's harmful," yeah. and then they adjust, or do they just keep doing yeah. harmful things over and over yeah. again? But you know, yeah, the context matters.
1: People keep posting like about period tracker things, and everyone's like, "Stop! Like, stop saying that these are safe, and they're they're not safe." And people keep saying, "But this one is," and it's like, no. They all, at the end of the day, are a business that are going to sell your information at some point.
0: I have a period tracker. Oh man. They got me again, gal. (laughs) I try to be... I don't try hard enough. Here's the thing. I believe in all the conspiracies, and then I just continue living my life.
1: But it's not really a conspiracy if it's been proven. That's what I'm saying.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What did we rate this episode? I rate it 11 out of 12... Learning about advocacy that I didn't previously know about.
2: Ooh. Good one. I'll rate it 52 out of 47 sibling relationships.
1: Hmm. I'll rate it 40 out of 20.
0: Whoa, Nellies.
1: Whoa, Whoa Nellie! <laughs>
0: Thank you to Phyllida Swift for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn, produced by Melissa Diamond Monts, edited by Coco Lorenz, executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Silio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com Dog slash plus.
2: And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash Forever
0: Team or on our channel, youtube.com slash just between us show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also at Allison Raskin, at SheIsNotMelissa, at GabbyRoad, Emotional Support Lady Substack, Patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn, and also Allison's book, Overthinking About You. Go and leave a Goodreads or an Amazon review. Um, you can also go to Scribd and see my book, Stimulus Wreck. But Allison's, give them reviews. Okay, bye! Forever!
3: Dog!